It's been a thousand hours and a million days Since we've all been locked away I don't go out and night, I stay in all day Maybe text my friend Because I love other people, I don't do whatever I want. But nothing, I said nothing can take away these blues. So why don't you care? My health depends on you. Well, nothing compares to this, that's for sure. Serena Fialo, bringing us a little light in these dark times. How about we chase that glimmer, we follow that humor, we pursue togetherness as we slip through the portal once more that leads us to the deep night. Friends, hello. It's me, Dale Seaver, your host, guide, and guru. And you better believe I'm wearing a mask for the rest of my life. It's time for another hour of regrets and revelations, that which we call the deep night. We come to you on this evening, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. Oh, to be outside once more, sitting on that canal's slippery shores for a picnic of jicama chips and Galinda's famous imitation ham salad. To run and skip in the muck of displaced soil from the improbable condo developments nearby as it commingles with the toxic runoff from the Verizon parking lot. Sure, our fair skin used to burn in the fumes, but we never once worried about touching our faces or washing our groceries before we brought them in the doors. Actually, in retrospect, it seems like we should have been doing a better job of washing everything, so thank you, coronavirus, for showing us just how filthy we were. And our thoughts tonight, even as we try to keep things uh, in, in good humor, are, are with the brave folks out there on the front lines of this battle to contain the virus, the grocery workers, the delivery people. I'll tell you, we lasted 18 days before succumbing to the need for alcohol delivery. <laughs> Maybe it was different at your address, but oh, what a beautiful day that was. And to the nurses and doctors and medical staff pouring into New York City uh, at the moment to help us from, from parts uh, elsewhere, all we can say is thank you. And just hearing about that got my old eyes a little wet as I prepared Galinda's oatmeal this morning. It's very apocalyptic shake here in New York City at the moment, with homemade masks and the Empire State Building all lit up like a siren and hospital ships cruising into the harbor. But I assure you that at any given moment of this day, there is an Instagram Live open mic that I have not been invited to. And somewhere, someone is uttering the words, Sorry, you cut out there for a moment. Oh, let us cast all the spells and line up all the crystals to try and get through this. Witches, we are needed. Also needed, music. Now, this is a music-heavy episode of the show uh, today, because I imagine it's easier to do a home Zumba class to music than it is to my nattering on about turtlenecks. Should I do a workout video? That's something to ponder. 
But for now, the song at the top of the show in our Deep Night Spotlight is from Serena Fialo, who you may know as an actress and performer who's appeared in so many wonderful shows from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Community Glee, Supernatural, and Life in Pieces, and uh, many, many commercials. More commercials than uh, seems possible, honestly. Now, she's been cooped up like the rest of us and turning out daily songs from what seems like maybe a childhood bedroom somewhere. I'm not sure. But these songs have been really helping me get through this time. You know, so we're, we're pleased to have one of them featured here in the Deep Night Spotlight. But do check her out, uh, her Instagram uh, handle, at Pfeiffer's 3000, or her YouTube channel where all the, the, vi- the videos of the songs are all posted. Uh, and uh, stay tuned here because there's going to be some more songs and music uh, coming up in the Deep Night Spotlight. Uh, and just throughout the episode as we go. So, uh, remember uh, how they had that experiment where they locked people in a geodesic dome with six other people and they had to, like, watch plants and recycle water or whatever it was in the name of science? I think I'm ready to do that. I feel like as a young person I might not have made it, but now I know I would be okay with it. Lock me in a glass dome with plenty of natural light? (laughs) Sounds like a dream. If you do want to visit me in Animal Crossing, come on by to the Dip Newt. That's our island. Say hello. I just planted a money tree. I caught a beautiful orchid mantis, and I'm happy to show it off to visitors any time. And I'll tell you this, the cherry trees are in blossom. Oh, Lord, I should be more productive, not playing games like this. I could use this time for so many things, but instead I'm selling weeds and getting stung in the face by wasps a lot. So I guess it's good that I got to make a call and talk to someone like my guest today, country music sensation Paisley Fields. Paisley's part of the burgeoning queer country scene that has been taking off of late, and it's just full of great stories and great storytellers like Paisley. And it was terrific to spend a little time uh, together, and you can probably tell that I'm still getting used to speaking to someone without seeing them. But uh, we figured it out. And uh, like so many conversations, we covered a lot of ground. So let's go to that now, my discussion with Paisley Fields. Paisley Fields, welcome to the Deep Night. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And now I know the band's name is Paisley Fields, but is that what you go by as well? I do, yes, I go by Paisley. Good, good. I'm calling you uh, whatever you want because these are quarantine rules, (laughs) (laughs) which means there are no rules. Anything goes except going outside and doing stuff with people. Yeah. (laughs) But otherwise, otherwise go nuts. So uh, we were set to talk before all this happened with the virus and all that. And I know you are not uh, alone in this uh, situation. None of us are alone in this situation. But uh, tell me, what was your spring going to look like? Uh, Spring was going to look like a lot of touring. We were supposed to play South by Southwest. And we were on a tour on the way there when all that kind of blew up. And we ended up canceling the end of that tour and canceling our April tour and just sitting at home now. But yeah, I was planning to be on the road a lot like a lot of other musicians. And would that have been your first time at South by Southwest? Uh, Yep. Performing, it would have been my first time. And we had a spot as official artists. So hopefully we'll be back next year or if they reschedule it. Yes, I hope so. I hope so. I know uh, my career is unaffected by this. I'm immune to success. Uh, So (laughs) 
for me, no different. Uh, but it, it, it must be difficult to have built some momentum and then to just have it all be put on hold like that. Um, I know a lot of people are, are experiencing that. Yeah, it but, it is. It also feels a little like selfish to worry about my career at a time like this. So I don't know. I have these, I'm going through like everybody, this range of emotion and we we were building momentum and all of a sudden it's just like the world stopped moving. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's such a, I, and I, I hear that, that it, you don't want to feel selfish about it, but also it's got to be part of it. I mean, we're all just uh, having the brakes slammed on us. Uh, it's an unusual thing. Um, and and we're, we're trying to do the best we can. Have you been doing, participating in the online sort of uh, uh, concerts and things on Instagram and what have you? Yeah, I've been doing that. I did a few of them. So we, um, I performed at a couple of the virtual festivals. There's this thing called the Socially Distant Fest that was a lot of fun. And then our record label did a showcase or a virtual festival on their Instagram page. It was also really cool. And we had a little hangout backstage. We call it this virtual backstage in WhatsApp where all the artists were talking and hanging out. And it was kind of cool to have that. Um, it felt more like it felt closer to an actual concert experience than the other ones that I've done. Right. And do you think that'll, that'll stay? Do you think that's a, a lasting thing? That's going to be a, just another uh, vehicle, another platform. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I find it of course a lot less fulfilling to perform to a phone in my living room <laughs> than to like an you actual audience. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to believe, but yeah. I mean, right now it kind of seems like that's really the only option that we have at this point. Right. So I'm, right. I'm planning to keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I, myself, uh, again, not the same draw anyway, and not the same demand <laughs> for what I'm putting out. But uh, I, I just haven't felt that productive uh, thing, the urge. Uh, it's hard to do anything besides, you know, have some time to plan an orchard and animal crossing uh, <laughs> on the Nintendo. That's about as much as I can uh, focus on at the moment. It's been very difficult. Yeah, I've I found that too. It's it's hard to be productive. And I feel like, oh, I should be writing a bunch of songs or I should be creative or doing this or doing that. And I've written like one song and I had to take an edible and like mentally torture myself <laughs> to get that song done. So right. not super productive right. here. Yes, there's a lot of projects that are still there. Yeah. <laughs> I just I can't even uh get to it. But let's uh let's uh Go back through this, though. I want to understand your story a little bit better because I gather you grew up in Iowa. I did. I grew up in Iowa, a real small town there. <laughs> yes. Now, of all the states <laughs> I've been to, and I'm about 47 at the moment, That's uh, Iowa is one where I have probably spent uh, the least amount of time. So uh, when, paint the picture for me. This is a, a small place, uh, farming. Is that what's going on? Yeah, it's a farming town that I grew up in. Our front yard was a cornfield. Um, uh -huh. I worked in a cornfield when I was a kid. I played the piano at church and everybody knew everybody. It was a town of, you know, 2000 people and I was surrounded by country music there. I didn't I can't say that I really loved it growing up. I actually kind of rebelled against it, but it really kind of formed who I am. Yeah, what did the rebellion take the form of? Um, I just would, you know, tr dress differently from everybody else and 
Yeah, we're talking goth, or what are we talking about? <laughs> uh, not quite goth, as much as I could get away with. Um, you know, smoke cigarettes and drink and think that I was a badass for sneaking out of my window at night and meeting up with my friends. And, you know, yes. <laughs> and were <laughs> Real you small time wild things? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and were you the kind of kid that was involved in like 4-H, that kind of thing, or absolutely not? Um, I wasn't involved in 4-H, but I was involved in a lot of the extracurricular activities at school, mostly music focused. You know, I did band and choir and all that. Yeah. And my sense of, of, of that kind of a life, uh, and forgive me for projecting, but is that it's it's very uh, maybe egalitarian, very uh, equal when it comes to working on the farm, but maybe a little less so once you step beyond the fence. Yeah. In terms of being accepting of identity and all that. Right. Kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and I wasn't out. I was outed my senior year, which was not my senior year of high school, which was unpleasant to say the least. Um, I would think so. But I did. I was lucky that I had a good group of friends, girlfriends um, who were supportive of me and who helped protect me. And that, that was my sort of saving grace there. Yeah. What was that uh, an act that was done with malice or it was uh, just a kind of unwitting kind of thing? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't nice. (laughs) It was this girl. She, I, She just did it as sort of in a gossipy way, you know? Ah, I see. I see. But you had a a grandmother, though, that that had your back? Yeah, I did. My grandma, Wilson. She, uh, when I was a little kid, I was probably like five or six years old, we'd watch the Golden Girls together. And one day she said, I have this present for you and brought me um, a pair of clip-on earrings. And she was like, you can wear these like whenever you're here, you know, just don't tell your parents. These are just for when you're at grandma's house. And she'd let me try on all of her clip-on earrings and stuff. So that was really, you know, from a very young age, she knew. When I came out to her, she was like, oh, I knew that a long time ago. Like, you don't even have to tell me. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> if she, if she maybe uh, think about the earrings. Is yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's wonderful to have that kind of relationship. And uh, it almost seems like sometimes acceptance skips a generation or perhaps that generation just has lived longer. And so one becomes more open. Mm-hmm. I like to think that's the case. Yeah, I uh, think so too. But so you're surrounded by uh, country music and you're playing the piano in the church. Um, was that your main exposure to to it? And did, and were you, uh, you said you were rebelling, but were you rebelling against that kind of thing musically too? My first real... Um, connection with country music where I really felt like a part of it and enjoyed it was probably when I was like nine or 10 years old, we would go, my family and I would go to this place called the Electric Park Ballroom in Waterloo, Iowa for line dancing lessons. So we'd like every (laughs) Wednesday, yeah, every Wednesday we'd line dance to the boot scootin' boogie and achy breaky heart and all that stuff. As a family? Yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah, it was fun. And I felt like I wasn't, (laughs) being judged for being a prancy little queen, you know, because for everybody's line dancing, that's pretty gay anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, country music from the beginning uh, was a little queer, wasn't it? I, I think mean, you, so, yeah. you have an emphasis on showmanship. I mean, once it really starts kicking in with the Grand Ole Opry and all that, I mean, little Jimmy Dickens, <laughs> uh, the, the nudie suits, the yep. hats, it's all there. Yeah. You look at what Hank Williams was wearing. It's like queen. Exactly. <laughs> 
I mean, you get pretty quick from uh, simple country folk, you know, playing on the porch uh, in Appalachia to rhinestone cowboy shirts and the <laughs> neckerchiefs and, you know, Porter Wagner, even on the TV show, lots of bling and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but playing of the music, when did that take take hold? I know you said in the church, but uh, that's, um, uh, that can be its own thing. What about for your own enjoyment? And I guess I always kind of played it a little bit. Um, but as far as writing... I would say really like it was after I went to Japan, maybe about 10 years ago. And I really felt there I sort of reconnected with the countryside of myself after being in New York for so long. We lived in the countryside in Japan and I strangely found some similarities to life there and life that I had growing up. Uh And it was through that that I sort of reconnected to my country roots, so to speak, and really made the decision to play country music because that's what really felt natural to me all along. Right. Well, well, that's that's a big uh, leap to get to Japan. So (laughs) so maybe let's fill in a little bit. Did I skip over something? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Maybe not. Uh, It could have been a long stretch and nothing going on for you, which happens for me all the time. But um, uh, so, so, you're you're drawn to it a little bit. You're doing the family uh, line dancing and that kind of thing. Uh, You you see that world. Uh, At what point uh, do you move away from it, uh, from from Iowa? Do you you go to school in New York or what's the the trajectory there that uh, gets you off the farm? Um, I guess I started rebelling like everybody did when they were a teenager. And I studied um, classical music, I went to school for um, piano performance. So I really like dove into the world of classical music and more like avant-garde stuff. Um, I moved to New York and played. Wait a minute. What kind of avant-garde stuff are we talking about? Um, A lot of repetitive thing from Philip Glass. Yeah, I did did like Philip Glass. I I never really played that music, (laughs) but I listened to, you know, Philip Glass. And and then as far as like popular music, David Bowie and Prince and. Yeah. So if, you know, I'm, I have a few years on you probably, but at, at one point there was a thing called, and it was a, definitely a scam, but this Columbia House thing where you could get like 10 tapes for a dollar or a dime or whatever it was. Uh, what would be on your, your 10 uh, cassettes from the Columbia House if you were to buy them then? Oh, God, from the Columbia House. Um, I do remember having Columbia House, the the CDs. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't even remember some of the stuff I got. It was, and it was probably embarrassing to tell you the truth. It's always embarrassing. That's why I asked you. <laughs> Mine is horrendous. It's an absolutely what, what terrible were some list. Of yours? Uh, crash test dummies. Okay. Uh, the soundtrack to Beaches. Um, Stormfront by Billy Joel. Uh, Hayden's The Planets. Uh, Simpsons sing the blues. I mean, go go down the list. <laughs> sing the blues. That's a good one. <laughs> An underrated album, I would offer. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear that. <laughs> so, but you were you were taking in a, a whole range of things. Yeah, it was probably well. like Garth yeah. Brooks and. There we go. The Dixie Chicks. Yeah, mixed with maybe some Ace of Bass. Uh huh. <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna be real here. Yeah. Well, I know when I was listening to your music, I, I picked up a little Dixie Chicks, maybe a little They Might Be Giants in there too. Oh yeah. Sure, why not? Why not? They're good. 
You know, I talked to uh, our mutual friend, Mercy Bell, and she had a lot of disco influence, a lot of folk in there, too. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating, all the influences that lead to a person to uh, do the thing that they end up doing. But you're studying classical uh, piano? Yeah, so I, d- I studied yeah. that. I, um, and then with, I had with a- What was the goal there? I think I just wanted to play. I didn't yeah. really have like a... I want to be a classical piano player. I didn't, you know, when I was 18 years old, I just, all I wanted to do was play the piano. Yeah. Um, So I figured the way to become the best piano player I could was to study classical music. So that was, that was really the goal there. Sure. And then, and then what does a young person, uh, you were in New York studying that? That was in Iowa. And then I moved back in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to New York after I graduated. After you graduate. So what does a young person with a degree in uh, classical music, is that what it would have been? Music degree? It was a BA in piano, yeah. BA in piano. Piano performance. Uh, what does a young person uh, do in New York with that? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I got a like a regular office job, and then I was playing in a band and um, working at a nightclub on the weekends. So just... I was working as, all the time. As a piano player? Not at first. I ended up um, working in piano bars in Manhattan. Okay. So I played I played in piano bars for maybe five or six years. And that was until pretty recently where I just decided to go full-time on being an artist. And and as a piano bar player, what, what did, what's in... Uh, does that entail? You're taking some requests. You're uh, uh, playing along. Does people enjoy their drinks? Uh, these the places I played. I was taking requests, and they were sort of sing along, open mic situations. So any song somebody wanted to hear, I'd play it. So I know thousands of songs at this point. Um, That's always so impressive to me when a musician can just sit down and play it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have that kind of a mind. I don't. I, I'm always jealous of that. It took a lot of work. I wasn't very good at first. I was actually really terrible at first, but you had to learn quick or else. Yeah. <laughs> People are pretty. But is it just that everything's a pattern and you just pick it up? Um, so, I mean, I had an iPad too, so I can look up, look up the music. Um, okay. Yeah. I guess the actual sheet music does yeah. help. <laughs> but, yeah. but still, it's impressive that anybody can sit down and look at the sheet music and just go for it. Uh, I'm I'm always impressed by that. But did you were you meeting people doing those gigs? Was yeah. it was it beneficial? It was. I ended up um meeting a couple artists that I co-wrote with at one of the gigs in the village. I wrote a song uh with Bob the Drag Queen called Purse First that got onto the Billboard chart. Um Wow. And then I also met uh, my friend Scarlet Envy there and we've collaborated on some stuff. She was just on RuPaul's Drag Race, and we put a song out called Feeling is Mutual, um, and we're going to be putting out another one together. So I got to meet some other um, artists and people I collaborated with through those gigs. Yeah. And and so uh, you're doing that. Then then how how do you get to Japan? This was after Japan. I'm skipping around. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. Japan came first. Yeah. So this was, I I was working an office job, um, and... I was just kind of like tired of that. I wanted to play music full time and and have a music career. And this opportunity came up for my husband and I to go to Japan for a year. And I ended up studying taiko drumming there 
formed a band there. We did some touring, got like a little, little famous in the little town where we lived. And then when it was time for me to come back to New York, I, I made the decision that I'm only going to play music. And uh-huh, just do what uh-huh. that takes. But, but the country bug bit you again uh, in Japan. Yeah. While you're taiko drumming. While I'm taiko drumming and playing. <laughs> playing <laughs> no, it makes total sense. <laughs> it was a was very... it just go, go I ahead. I know what were you going to say. Well, I didn't know if it was just a sort of a homesick situation or if you were in an environment where, I mean, certainly country music is big in Japan. So if it was that kind of a thing, I, being exposed to that. I wasn't really hearing any country music in Japan. I think maybe part of it was homesick. And then also I just had a lot of time because like nobody really spoke English there and I didn't really speak Japanese. So I was sort of the, the taiko drumming part was very meditative for me. Uh-huh. Um, so I guess I just really got to sit with my own thoughts for a little bit and really figure out what I want to do and who I am. Well, that's uh, uh, fascinating. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad that that was the vision that came to you. Uh, why, were you in a taiko band, though? Was the band is, – is there such a thing? Um, there are taiko groups. So this was a, a group. It was more of um, an amateur group. And I had – my sensei was – Mr. Onishi ran the taiko group and yeah, I just learned all the, the taiko music with them. And it was a lot of fun. It was a really unique and magical experience. It's amazing. Um, and, uh, and the band that you had there uh, was what? Uh, the band I had there was Sora Ocean. And it's funny cause I actually, um, my bandmate, I did a zoom meeting with him yesterday because we wanted to record this song uh, called that he wrote it's called prayer song um and he plays a his name is kazunari abe and he plays a shinobue which is this japanese bamboo flute and then i play piano and sometimes we do some instrumental songs and then some i would sing on too so it was like a real mix of a lot of different genres and are there rec- there's recordings of that yep if you look up sora ocean i think you can find i can send you some of that stuff um, oh, good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and we'll be... the, per- the perks of being a host. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I also understood that at some point in there, you uh, uh, locked into uh, Karen and the Sorrows and uh, what was it? Lavender Country? Is yeah. That called? That's when I got back. Um, that was after Japan. Um, okay. But yeah, I met up with Karen for the first time because I had heard about the concert series she runs called the Queer Country Monthly. Right. So went there, met her, and um, ended up performing at a couple of those. And Karen and I became friends, and we've toured a lot together and done a lot of shows together. She's a really amazing person, and I played just with- the loveliest, absolutely uh, the loveliest. And she did some of our earliest live shows. Oh, really? I adore her. Yeah, yeah. She has a deep history with uh, with the deep night. Uh, <laughs> it's probably time to reach out to them again. Quarantine is a good time to <laughs> yeah. reach out to yeah, everyone exactly. that's ever been in your life. Uh, and uh, tell me about uh, uh, Lavender Country, though. So Lavender Country, I met um, Patrick at their show in Nashville. I had just played in Louisville, and I saw they were performing. And I, you know, playing country music, decided to research queer country or gay country people and lavender country came up as the first gay country band i saw that they still perform so i was like oh i have to meet this guy 
Um, so I met Patrick in Nashville and we ended up staying in touch. I played back up for them when they played in New York. And then I ended up touring with them as the opener and also in the Lavender Country Band playing on keyboard. And he's sang, he's singing on our new record and I played on his new record um, on a couple songs on piano. And we just, as, he, as Patrick says, we're girlfriends. <laughs> well, it does seem that however long that, that it's been around, that, that as we said, there's some, uh, the, the roots are probably deep, deeper than we know. Uh, that queer country, though, is, was having a kind of a moment, is having a kind of a moment right now. Yeah, I think it is. There's a lot of, a lot of people in our community and there's a, a fan base and an interest. And I think queer people belong in country music just as much as anybody because country music is really just about telling stories and our stories deserve to be heard as much as anybody else's. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what happens? Uh, are, are, the, are the folks back in Iowa excited when you come through with the fringes and everything? I think so. We played, yeah. um, we played the Iowa state fair and then my hometown had a pride festival. It was like the neighboring, the little larger home the town a little larger than ours next to us um, called Cedar Falls, which is in uh, the Cedar Valley in Iowa. But they had a pride festival and we performed at it and the Indigo Girls were there. And it was, wow! I couldn't believe it because, you know, growing up there is like, this will never happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Iowa State Fair, that's got to be a big gig. It was a good one. It was fun. We did a couple stages and I was a little worried about people walking out or being, you know, offended, but everybody, everybody really was into it. And we won the crowd over and it was just cool to be there. I remember when I was a kid, I would like perform in the talent show. (laughs) So I was like, (laughs) Oh, I'm, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) How you like me now? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Did you win any of those talent shows? I did not win any of the talent shows. And I mentioned that on stage. (laughs) (laughs) good for you that's good and uh, was that at the time when all the uh, presidential candidates are circling through having the corn dogs and whatever else uh this was not during a not during that time but that that happens there yeah yeah (laughs) wanted to make sure i have my right state fairs uh well that's uh, terribly exciting uh i i just uh i'm i'm jealous (laughs) i want to play a state fair. oh you got you got to go to the iowa state fair sometime (laughs) see the butter cow Oh, I long for a butter cow. <laughs> <laughs> that would be exciting. It's the hot um, thing. So it, I, yes, it can't get it too hot though. <laughs> now, uh, when you write a song like the the one that's out there now, "Ride Me Cowboy," mm-hmm. uh, the themes are pretty overt right there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I wondered what role does humor play in the songwriting uh, as you as you're developing these. Um, it depends on the song. I mean, every song is different for that one. Obviously, humor was a big factor. I, w- I was just laying in bed when the song sort of came to me and I was cracking myself up thinking of all these lines. And I was like, this is funny. I'm going to I'm going to make this a song. <laughs> um, so it's a little cheeky. Yeah, a little cheeky. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's country music, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah, sure. There's a long history of that, isn't there? Yeah. Definitely. And an American uh, popular song as well, going back to some of the old tunes uh, about the coal man and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, so is there any comparison, though, that really gets under your skin when somebody says, oh, you know what this sounds like? 
Um, not really. I don't. Nothing. Nobody's ever compared to me. Compare me to anybody that I'm like. Oh, shut up. <laughs> but that's, that's probably good. Yeah. <laughs> At least yet, anyway. We'll see. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so uh, the, that the the Ride Me Cowboy is just a single, or it's part of an album. It, it well, we haven't announced it yet, but it is part of an album that um, okay we're going to be announcing in a couple weeks. So we're still. Okay. I won't tell anybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think the cat's out of the bag. Most people know. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's been going well. That's been getting some uh, play. Is that what happens? Um. It's been, we've been getting some play on the radio, which is exciting. Um, we were really, the plan was to tour it down to South by Southwest. So that sort of threw a wrench in things, but. Right. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's going well as far, I mean, as, as best we can do with the state of the world, you know? Right. Sure. But can you imagine a time where you might uh, take the family back to the old uh, line dancing place and one of your songs is playing? <laughs> that would be a trip. <laughs> The family doing okay? Yeah. So everybody's still around back there? Yep, okay. everybody's okay. They're all safe and healthy still in, okay. in Iowa. Good, good. I'm the only one who got um, away. <laughs> well, sometimes that's fine. <laughs> as long as somebody gets out, <laughs> yeah. can report back in, reflect <laughs> a little bit on what's going on. Right. Um, uh, so uh, you continue, of course, during this time to... to create stuff if you can and sell things as you can and try to generally figure things out. But I wondered if you could, uh, this is a two-parter, if you had any songs that you would be turning to at this moment to, to sort of ease you through it. And uh, then the second part, maybe there's a song of one of yours that we could consider. Um, I mean, we talked about Karen and the Sorrows and I've been listening to her really good new record. So I would say, yeah, Guaranteed Broken Heart is a yeah. good one for this time. Yep. And then put that on the hi fi. Yeah, put it on there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then one of yours that we might uh, play. Here. I mean, we might as well do Ride Me Cowboy since we've been talking about it. <laughs> it's true. And if that doesn't put you in a good mood, I don't know what will. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yep. Now, do you, do you make your costumes as well or your outfit? I don't know what you call them. Your stage presence? Um, I don't make them myself. I've tried and failed, so I <laughs> I get help with that. Yeah. Can you still buy the nudie suits? Does that still exist? I haven't People know found what I'm any. talking about? I, yeah. I definitely know what you're talking about, and I would yeah. love to find one. Um, but everything I've done, I've had, I've either bought online or had custom made. Yeah. Um, I think that's the way to do it. You want that right fit. Yeah. Yeah, and it's nice to have, you know, something that's only yours. Yes, yes, and a signature look. Mm -hmm. Because you do. I mean, you you adhere to some of the traditions of the of uh the comedy stylings or the uh, country stylings. Yeah, I got my friend uh Matthew, Matthew Hemiseth, who's also from Iowa, styled our album cover shoot and so he helps me helps me pick out outfits and he put the um that pink fringe on the back. He just you know, had an inclination that he saw this pink yeah. fringe and was like, I need to bring this to the shoot. And <laughs> as we're shooting, he just pinned it to the back of the shirt I had. And that ended up being on the cover. Thank goodness. I know. Thank God for well, the it fringe. takes it. It takes a little village, doesn't it? Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> to coax us through <laughs> and to make it all work together. Um, well, uh, when, where can people find out about everything? 
Your website, um, I guess. Yeah, our website. We're on all the socials. Our website's paisleyfields.com, and we list everything there. I'll be doing live streams, and I'll post about the live streams on our website. And we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Our new videos on the Don Giovanni Records YouTube page for Ride Me Cowboy, so you can see that there. And hopefully we'll be back on the road once this all yeah. blows over. Yes, hopefully there's a, a return to a, a new uh, and even better uh, existence. Yeah, I hope so. I'm hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> Trying too. to remain hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, uh, uh, Paisley, thank you so much for joining me from quarantine. Thank you for having me. It was really nice talking to you. I wish you all the best in the career and with your health and everything. Thank you uh, for doing it. Thank you very much. All right, all you buckaroos. Time to rope them up, ease on into the ride. Suns are going down on this cattle town. Leave your boots under the chair. And play me a song on the steel guitar. And nothing but your underwear. We'll have a couple of beers and look up at the stars while the old white porch swing sways. Come inside and I'll give you a ride at the end of your honky-tonk day. Ride me, cowboy. Ride me good. Won't you ride, won't you ride me good? Show me what you got going on under that hood. Ride me, cowboy. Till the cows come home. Both hands. 
not too fast. You don't want to make it home too soon. Supper's waiting. Oh, what fun. A great song, a great conversation. My thanks to Paisley for joining me and having such a nice mic set up on the other end. <laughs> Makes a difference, I'll tell you that. Everybody should invest in a decent USB mic so we can talk. All right, well, here we are. The end of another episode. And I thank you for joining me. I do hope you find a little bit of comfort in all this. We'll get through it. We all agree it should not have been this bad, but what can you do? Hopefully we'll uh, make some good changes in our political situation in the fall. But until then, let us cling to our deep night mantra, for we know that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Be safe, friends. Deep Night with Dale is independently produced and performed by James Bewley. Season 12 podcast icon illustrated by Lars Litaro. Deep Night Season 12 theme by Zach Gabbard. Music throughout the episode is provided by the talented roster at Haller Hills Farm in Ohio. Production studio space provided by Harvestworks here in New York City. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or tune in on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Thank you for listening and this season, I encourage you all to leave your portals open.